Anybody tell me what the first commandment is? You shall have no other gods before me. Good. Let's say that all together. You shall have no other gods before me. And the second one, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Say that with me. You shall not make for yourself an idol. So the first one, you shall have no other gods before me. Second, you shall not make for yourself an idol. Got him? Sure? Okay. We'll keep quizzing. Chapter 20, verse 7. Third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Father, as we look at this command this morning, when we do so with humble hearts, for we know, Father, that we are talking about the name that belongs to you. The most holy name ever spoken the most perfect and righteous name ever heard. And Father, I pray that we will do so, not only with humility, Lord, but with reverence and awe. Holy Spirit, teach us of this name and teach us how we can better handle this name. We pray in Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been around those Christians who just take things a little too seriously? You know the ones I'm talking about. You've got to watch what you say. You've got to watch how you act. Be careful you don't tell the wrong joke. Don't suggest the rated R movie around them because they're going to give you the look. They're the ones that when you're in the movie with them and things are happening on the screen, you feel really uncomfortable because they're right there. They're just a little too uptight. And you might think with these people, what's the big deal? Come on, we're all Christians, we're all heaven bound. Lighten up a little. But here's the deal. The Bible tells us that God is light. And in Him there is no darkness at all. We as Christians are not called to lighten up. We're not called to relax. We're not called to just kick back and let it all flow. We are called to righteousness. Gang, there is nothing casual about the cross. There is nothing kickback about the call of God. Nothing commonplace about the holiness of God. The God who we seek. Now don't misunderstand me. Those of you who know me understand this. Taking the Lord seriously does not exclude joyful living. Focusing on righteousness does not mean being uptight and legalistic. As we have talked about in the Ten Commandments, This is not a law given to constrict us. It is a law given to free us. In this world, who wants murder to be allowed? They just caught the BTK killer. Bind, torture, and kill. And God says, you shall not murder. And I think, good law. (laughs) Because I don't want to deal with that. I don't want myself, my friends, my family to be murdered. What about some of the other laws? Lying. How many people enjoy being lied to? How many of you love coming home to find your house burglarized? God gives us these laws not to make life worse for us, but to make life better for us. To free us up to enjoyment and to the pleasure that He created us for. The true joy of God. 
And so again we turn to these timeless Ten Commandments, realizing that within these laws are not heavy chains that bind, but perfect parameters that set us free. But take warning as we do so, for freedom and grace are trampled far too easily, especially by Christians. The fact that we are saved, the fact that we know that we are heaven bound is wonderful. But it is not license. It is not cool. I can just do whatever, say whatever, think whatever, go wherever. No big deal. I'm saved. And especially, especially when I'm with my Christian friends, we all understand each other. So it doesn't matter if we, if we try to become more righteous or if we pursue holiness. Who really cares? Come on, we're all Christians, right? Jude wrote this. Jude 3 and 4 said, Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all handed down to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. This is back in the first century, folks. And Jude is saying, hey, people have crept in. People who God knew ahead of time were going to creep in. People have crept into the church and are turning God's grace into license, into whatever. You can do whatever. You're saved. It's no big thing. Who really cares? Just as long as you've claimed Christ at some point in your life. I share this and start out with this. Because if there's one command in ten, which is most often dismissed as immaterial, it's the third one. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And we go, okay, alright, but come on. How important is it? If I slip up and say, oh my, or if I say, GD, or if I throw out the word, maybe I've hit my thumb with a hammer and I go, dude, how big a deal is that? I'm under grace, not under the law. And so we take this third command and kind of set it aside. We look at the others. Well, I haven't killed anybody. I haven't committed adultery. I haven't stolen. I'm not going to do those things. If I slip up on number three, how big a deal is that? Gang, names do matter. Names matter. There was a story told about a lawyer whose last name was Odd. O-D-D. Odd. That was his last name. And all his life, as a kid growing up, he was called Oddball. As a lawyer, he was called Odd Man Out. And they always made fun of his name, and it really frustrated him. So he wrote down in his will, his last will and testament, he said, I don't want my name inscribed on my tombstone. Don't even put it there. Instead, on his tombstone, he wanted the words, Here lies an honest lawyer. And so when people would walk through the cemetery and see his tombstone, they'd say, That's odd. (laughs) Names matter. Names matter. Don't they? I hated it when I was a kid and other kids called me crawfish. Now it's my email address. Things have changed a little bit. But names matter. Man, when other kids made fun of my name, especially elementary school, I got so upset about that. It bugged me. Don't, don't mess around with my name. And we all know the old phrase, sticks and stones may break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Baloney. 
How many people went crying home all the way from elementary school because someone threw a nasty word at them? Just me? <laughs> names matter. But gang, if human names matter so much and are so much of importance to us, how much more the name of God? You may have noticed that the third command is the only command that comes with this serious a postscript. Listen again. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. The literal translation, the Lord will not hold you guiltless if you take his name in vain. God is serious about his name. He doesn't mince words here. You don't mess with my name, God says. But why? Why does it matter so much? Like me with crawfish, she cares. I mean, it's just, it's just a name, right? Wrong. Wrong. With God, the name matters. I want us to think through this today. I actually want to answer two questions. Number one, why is this command so important to the Lord our God? So important that He would add, I will not leave you guiltless if you take my name in vain. Why is it so important to Him and how do we actually violate this command? So first question, why is this command so important? Let me give you a simple phrase. And it's a phrase that if you're taking notes, you can write this down in two parts. Here's the first part of the phrase. The name of the Lord is meaningful. Don't write meaningful, write meaning dash full. For it is full of meaning. Flip in your Bibles back to the book of, well in Exodus, back to chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. We come into that amazing moment where Moses for the first time heard with his own ears the name. The name. Exodus chapter 3 verse 13 tells us that Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now, they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my memorial name to all generations. Moses asks a great question. What name do I give for you? What name do I tell them, Father? And again, back in verse 6 of chapter 3 here, God says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. He has already said this to Moses before Moses says, Who do I say sent me? And if you look at it literally, he says, I am the Elohim of your father. The Elohim of Abraham, the Elohim of Isaac, the Elohim of Jacob. And Elohim was that word used for God, meaning great, all-powerful creator God, that we see back in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. God, the creator. And if you were translating this literally, it wouldn't translate, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. It would translate this way. I am the gods of Abraham. I am the gods of Isaac and the gods 
of Jacob. I am the gods. Plural. I'm the gods. <laughs> Wait a minute. Okay, now we're getting to that Trinity stuff, right? Listen, Jewish scholars have been freaked out by this for thousands of years. I'm the gods? That doesn't make sense. I am the gods, as opposed to we are the gods, or I am the gods, singular. But how does this work? It drives the rabbis nuts. Because in their monotheistic view of God, there can only be one. And you know what? They're right. And they're wrong. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 tells us here, O Israel... The Lord is our God. The Lord is one. So the rabbis are right. The Lord is one. There's only one God. Right? Kind of. Because the Lord is one, the word one there is also in the plural form of the word. The Lord is one. In a plurality kind of a way. And we as human beings sit back and go, Ow! That's painful! How can one be many? How can many be one? How can he be the gods of Abraham, the gods of Isaac, and the gods of Jacob? Even so, this name Elohim, which God gave to Moses, he said, I am Elohim, even so, it wasn't enough. It wasn't enough for Moses. He heard Elohim, but he said, yeah, but what do I call you? What do I call you? I understand that you're Elohim, but what do, who do I tell them has sent me? Flip in your Bibles to Isaiah 43. Isaiah 43. Back at the burning bush, Moses says, Can I get a clarification on Elohim, please? On God the Creator? I need something more specific. And so God gives him the name that will be revered for all generations as memorial. A name so revered that it was only spoken once a year by the high priest when he entered into the holiest place of the tabernacle and later the temple. That day called the Day of Atonement, Yom Shapur. It was on that day and that day alone that the name was spoken. Even so, it was spoken in consonants. Actually, it was written in consonants, Y-H-W-H. Later, vowels were added just to give it some sense of sound. But we're not even sure if that's exactly how it's pronounced or how it sounds. It's the name Yahweh. Yahweh. There is an immensity, folks, and a grandeur to God as revealed in this name that even the word Elohim cannot begin to express. So God tells Moses, use the verb to be. Use the verb for I am, Yahweh. You tell them, I am, Yahweh, has sent me to you. And in Isaiah 43, verse 6, we read, I will say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name and whom I have created for my glory. Whom I have formed, even whom I have made. Bring out the people who are blind, even though they have eyes, and the deaf, even though they have ears. All the nations have gathered together so that the peoples may be assembled. Who among them can declare this and proclaim to us the former things? Let them present their witnesses that they may be justified, or let them hear and say, It is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am He. Before me there was no God formed, and there will be none after me. I, even I, am Yahweh, the Lord. 
There is no Savior besides me. It is I who have declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. So you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Yahweh. The name of God. A name so powerful, so awesome, that it bears focus in our study this morning. That we should seek to understand who else, by the way, is like him. He says, there is no Savior like me. There is no Savior besides me. I'm the Lord. It's me. So who else can be that? Jesus can. You may recall in John chapter 8, verse 58, after a rather interesting argument between the Pharisees and Jesus, that at the end of the argument, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. Not I was, not the past tense, the present. He takes that same verb. Yahweh. I am. And the Jewish leaders freaked out. They wanted to stone him right then and there. Why is that? Because it's blasphemy for somebody to equate himself with God. The Jews said, wait a minute, that's God's name. And Jesus says, you got that right. Absolutely. There is no Savior besides me. Jesus, God in the flesh. In this moment, gang, of high drama. Jesus claimed the very depth of the name of God, Yahweh, for himself. But again, what does this name mean? I am. I am. Think about it, gang. It depicts the all-knowing, all-powerful, always-present God in a way that no other name can. I am expresses the self-existence, his self-sufficiency, his sovereignty. The fact that God depends on nobody and nothing. He is the I am. He is Yahweh. And I don't even have time this morning to get into all of the names of God given in Scripture. I'd love to study each one specifically and I encourage you to do that. Let me give the names to you. And you may want to jot these down. The first is Yahweh Jireh. Yahweh Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. Any of you a little worried with your provision these days? With where the next meal is going to come from or how the next bill is going to be paid? Then you need to focus on, think about Yahweh, Jireh. The Lord will provide. Genesis 22, 13 through 14. Yahweh Rapha. Yahweh Rapha, the Lord our healer. Exodus chapter 16, verse 26. There are some of you here this morning who need to focus on the Lord your healer. Yahweh Rapha, that is his name. Yahweh Nisi, Exodus 17, 15 tells us, Yahweh Nisi is the Lord, our banner. The Lord, our banner. Yahweh Makadashem, the Lord, our sanctifier. Man, if you feel like when you come to worship God that your life's not right, that you're a little bit dark, that there's too much of a mess there, that God can't deal with it, guess what? He is the Lord, your sanctifier. He's the one who cleans us. He's the one who makes us right. Exodus 31:13. Yahweh Shalom. One of my favorites for God's name. The Lord, our peace. Yahweh Shalom. Judges 6:24. Yahweh Rohi. Yahweh Rohi, you've heard this many times, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord our Shepherd, Yahweh Rohi, or Yahweh Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. Yahweh Sitkenu, we sang the song this morning, the Lord our righteousness, Jeremiah 23, 6, Yahweh Sitkenu, and Yahweh Shammah, the Lord who is present. 
Ezekiel 48.35, Yahweh Shema. Present. Always there. He doesn't go away. He doesn't disappear. He's not off on the other side of the world, busy with the tsunami after effects. Oh, he's there. He's working. He's doing his thing. But he is also here and now with each of us. Yahweh Shema. And what about these names as well? Adonai. Malachi 1.6 uses Adonai, which simply means Lord. Apply it again to Yahweh the Father, our God. El Elyon, the Most High God. Genesis 14.17-20 and Isaiah 14.13 and 14. El Roy, the strong one who sees Genesis 16. You remember Hagar was driven out into the wilderness and she and her son Ishmael, she thought she was dead. She was a goner. She put Ishmael over by a tree to, to die and she went off by herself to die. She didn't, couldn't bear watching her son starve to death and the God who really sees showed up. El Roy. El Shaddai. El Shaddai, which means God Almighty. Mighty. It also means God of the mountain. God of the mountain. Genesis 17.1 and Psalm 91 verse 1. And finally, El Olam. El Olam meaning the everlasting God. Isaiah 40 verses 28 through 31. Now I ask you, after just hearing those names, a list of 16 different names applied to God the Father in the Old Testament, can you see where it might be problematic to take this name and bandy it around as a common curse word? And is that not what we do with absolute freedom and carelessness, not even thinking about the word that we use when we say, Oh, my God. The name of the Lord, folks, is meaningful. But here's the second half of that phrase. The name of the Lord is meaningful, but using the Lord's name in vain empties it of meaning. Back in our verse, Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Where God says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. The Hebrew word for vain there literally means to empty it of meaning. Don't take my name and pour the meaning out on the floor as if it didn't matter. You don't dump it out. You don't take the name of God and make it something worthless, something menial, something carelessly tossed about. The idea here is one of using God's name as nothing more than a figure of speech. Lord, it's been a hard day. It's taking God's name and making it a subject of empty chatter. It's taking God's name as a curse word. It's diminishing the glory and the splendor and the wonder that His name contains. And sad to say, gang, our culture has come so far from understanding the saving importance of God's name that it should horrify us. We were sitting in the aviator watching the movie and about five minutes into it Cheryl said I don't know how much longer I can sit here and listen to this because of the number of times God's name was applied to the word damn over and over and over and you start to think how long do I have to listen to this hey I would rather hear the F word a hundred times than God's name misused once in 1943 just to give you a picture of how far we've come Gone with the Wind hit the theaters Rhett Butler and Scarlett O'Hara and that epic movie. And people went to see it and in the last line that Rhett Butler spoke in the movie he said, you remember, frankly Scarlett, I don't give a damn. 
And when he spoke it, there was an uproar. It was the first time, 1943, not that long ago, it was the first time that word had been used in such a way in a movie on the big screen. And people were angry about it. And there were articles written about it. And there were church-going folk who were absolutely incensed. It's a good thing we've matured a bit in our day, isn't it? Just a couple generations ago, people understood the seriousness of the word damn as real, as theological, as biblical, as having definite meaning behind it. Words that speak of eternal separation from God. Damn. Words like hell that speak of a horrible place that nobody, nobody was meant to go. But people will go if they reject the name. And yet in our culture, how big a deal really is it? Come on, Rick, you're making me uncomfortable. I'm a Christian, and the language thing, you know, not that big a deal. I'm sorry, but I beg to differ. Think about this. How often do we damn lockers that won't open? How often do we damn cars that won't start? Or damn thumbs that we have hit by wayward hammers? What would happen if actually the thumb that I just damned was damned? Exploded right off my hand and went straight to hell. Now that might be a little odd, but that's what we're saying. It's such a trivial word. Who cares? I can watch Friends and see it there. Hear it three or four or five times. It's not that big a deal. Gang, because words like hell and damn and God and Jesus Christ have been diminished in our culture, devoid of content that matters, and we have become comfortably desensitized to it. There is spiritual reality here. I talk to my kids about this all the time. I know I drive them nuts. My son Hayden was playing a little game called Fire Emblem. It's a little Game Boy game. It's no big deal. But he goes, hey dad, watch this. And I watch for a moment and he goes, you know that, the power that I just used there, that's called dark magic. <laughs> End it over. Dark magic? Oh, it's just a game. Come on. It's just all it is. It's no big deal. Who cares? It's just what he's calling a little, you know, when he goes like this in the fire shoot. Big deal, right? Yes. Big deal. Big deal. What do you guys think we're playing around with here? There are demons in this world. There is dark magic. There is evil. And there is a devil called Satan. And he is prowling around, around seeking whom he can devour and destroy. And we're going, oh, it doesn't matter. Who the hell really cares? We need to care. It should matter. Now, if you're squirming as much as I am, hang on a second. We toss these things jokingly around. It's dangerous. But set all the little words aside. When we take hold of the word, the name God, or Jesus, and we loosely spit them out in a rage, in frustration, or in a joke, or in any manner that is not speaking to or about God in absolute reverence, Gang, we are doing what the Bible says belongs to the likes of enemies and fools. Psalm 139 verse 20 says, For they speak against you wickedly, and your enemies take your name in vain. Do you want to be an enemy of God? There's your first step right there. Psalm 74 verse 18 says, Remember this, O Lord, that the enemy has reviled, and a foolish people has spurned your name. 
Elohim, Yahweh, Yeshua. Now here's the other side, the contrast. Listen to the description of God's name used by those who love Him. Solomon, in the Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3, said, Your name is like purified oil. Psalm 8, verse 9, David writes, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Psalm 89, verse 15, he writes, How blessed are the people who know the joyful sound. O Lord, they walk in the light of your countenance, and in your name they rejoice all day, all day. And by your righteousness they are exalted. And my favorite verse, one that should be applied to memory for every one of us, Isaiah 26, verse 8. Listen to this. Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. Is the name of God the desire of your soul? When you hear God's name, do you find yourself welling up with a passionate desire to be with Him? Are you lovesick at the thought of having to wait for Him and overwhelmed at the very mention of His name? His name. Your name, Father, even your memory is the desire of our souls. The name of God is not just a calling card. It's not just an ID. It is so full of meaning that it will take us eternity to grasp the name of God. But when the Lord's name is diminished to nothing more than slang, to nothing more than casual cultural talk, Eventually it becomes devoid of all meaning. Which is why, by the way, Satan is behind all blasphemy and all profanity. That is action, that is a move of Satan. Why? Because he will do anything to diminish the impact of the saving power of the name of God. Diminish the name, people won't call on the name, and people cannot be saved. It's only by the name of God that we can be saved. Peter said there's no other name in heaven or on earth by which man can be saved but Yeshua, Jesus Christ, God. I'll never forget the first time I heard Jesus Christ spit out as a curse. I was on the log ride at Knott's Berry Farm, California. And I'm riding on the log ride and there's my brother and I in the back and these three teenagers, now we were pre-teens at the time, three guys got up in the front and we start up the hill. And we start across the middle section and we head down and in the first dive the guy just shouted out, Jesus! And I was back in the back and I just went, what? I mean, I had heard people take the Lord's name. I had heard people say, oh my. But to hear someone, it, it, it was like someone slugged me in the face. It really was. But how used to that do we get? We look at the, at the rating from the movie and we say, okay, it's rated R for language. Oh, good. Well, that's all right. I can handle language. I'll just shut that out. Focus on the story. Wrong. Because every single time God's name is spoken in such a manner, is thrown out carelessly, we are diminishing its significance. We are saying, command number three, it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. Take me to the command of thou shalt not murder... Well, I want that one to be followed, especially around my house. There's not going to be any murder here. 
but taking the name of the Lord in vain? God says that's even more important. In the name of God, specifically in the name of Jesus, Yeshua, again we find the key to eternal salvation. And you Christians, listen to me, if you are saved, if you have called upon the name of the Lord, if you find your salvation in Him, you know you are graced, you know you're going to heaven, you may think, well good, I'm covered by grace, so if I slip up, no big deal. It is a big deal if you're around non-Christian people who hear you slip up and don't think there's any big deal in the name. Are we diminishing by our very behavior the opportunity for someone else to call on the name of God and be saved? There is nothing wrong. Folks, as Christians, there is nothing wrong with standing in a group of our friends and someone says, oh my... And you say, is he? Because if you're calling on him in prayer, that's great. Let's kneel down right now. We'll pray together. But don't mess with the name of my God. How would you feel, husbands, if someone was bad-talking your wife at work? Throwing it around loosely. Saying that she's a no account. Excuse me? You don't talk about my wife that way. How about our God? How about our Lord? Are we diminishing the name? Or do we, along with Isaiah, cry out, Your name, even your memory, is the desire of our souls. Do we understand the vast importance of revering God's name? But I said again, I said there were two questions. Why is this so important? And how do we violate this command? How do we violate it? And we're going to have to come back next week and talk about that. Let's pray. Holy Father, if there is any one thing that I would ask of you this morning, it's that you would restore to us a deep desire to honor your name. That you would put into us not a, not a sense of legalism, as if by keeping any of these commands we can make ourselves righteous. We know we can't. We know it is only your righteousness, Yahweh Sidkenu, your righteousness that saves us. God we profess to love you so much to have a deep desire for you to come close to you help us to understand it starts with your name it begins in our lives with how we express you in the face of other people Christian or not us to understand the weight of crying out even in prayer the name of our God help us in the moments that we speak the name of Jesus to be impacted in our hearts Father you as our creator stepped out and made this world Lord over all things and then stepped into this world taking on human flesh in an unbelievable act of mercy and wearing the name of Yeshua Jesus and we owe your name Father all honor and all glory and all power and all praise 
to that place, Lord, where the mention of your name draws up desire and passion and wonder as we know that one day soon we will worship your name for eternity. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.